When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers. Going inside and breaking down the game and finding out what all the data means. Thanks again for joining us here on Crunching the Numbers for another episode. We are here with Master Flawless and Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics. Shane, thanks for joining us. Hi guys, I uh, must admit the three weeks uh, working from home in self-isolation has got me going a little bit crazy. Too many puzzles, I think. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure Mark's got a big job today to try and keep me uh, in line sticking to tennis. <laughs> uh, it's a bit challenging, obviously, at this time of uh, time of the year where everyone's in isolation, but we're here to bring you as much tennis information as we possibly can keep you up to date with what's happening in the tennis world. Uh, obviously, there's not much in terms of on-court, but we can give you the latest in data, and that's why, Shane, you're here to, to give us our next episode and our next topic, which is based around serve ascendancy. So do you want to give uh, the listeners a bit of a background as to, you know, what we're going to talk about today and the reason behind why we're doing it. Yeah, today I thought we'd look at the, the serve, in particular the influence of, of the serve on the outcome of the point. And throughout the podcast, we'll give some tips for the server to try and maximise that influence and the returner to try and overcome it. I'm going to start with a little bit of theory and I can see Mark wins a little bit in the corner there, but I think it's really important to introduce these two um, calculations. They're interrelated terms uh, that will form the basis of the analysis today and really frame our discussion better. So the first is service ascendancy. What it tries to do is measure the point at which the server loses the advantage of that first strike is served. To work it out, we, we've charted each shot um, after the serve is hit by the server and the corresponding percentage of that point being won by the server. We, we also add in a court positional uh, data to, to, to give the calculation some more um, precision. So it's considered a server loses the ascendancy um, on the shot in the rally where the server is no longer considered on the attack. And coincidentally, it actually lines up with the winning percentage of the point uh, dropping to about 50%. For the server. Now the other term I'll introduce is serve impact. A lot of people have tried to measure the impact of, of the serve and the first person I've seen sort of doing with a mathematical approach was Jeff Sackman and my calculation is a slight variation to his but basically what it does is it looks at the percentage of the service point that can be credited or attributed to the serve. It looks at a number of things so aces unreturned forced errors that first shot, if, if it happens there, then that's fully credited to the serve. Um, but then it'll look at subsequent shots, so serve plus one, serve plus two. And on a sliding scale, uh, by looking at each shot, it'll attribute something to the serve and something to the subsequent shot. And you'll, you'll end up with a serve impact score and a shot impact score, which totals 100%. So when you talk about, let's let's go to that first topic and talk about the, the losing the advantage side of things. So can you be specific in terms of how do we lose advantage and when can we possibly lo- lose advantage? And what does that mean for me as the player or the coach coaching a player out there? So Mark, I'll try and answer that 
with an example, if Ash Barty hits three shots after a serve, is still winning 60% of the, the points um, at that point, and, and, and she's in an attacking position, then she's considered to still have her service ascendancy. But if on the fourth shot, she, her winning percentage drops to about 50%, she's in a more defensive position, then we consider her to have lost her service ascendancy. So the service ascendancy really looks for the shot in the rally where a player loses the attacking momentum that comes from that serve um, and, and they're basically now in a neutral or defensive position and the rally becomes really a battle between the server and returner and the outcome is determined by some other subsequent shot not not the serve hopefully in this podcast we can provoke some thought really about what shots we can hit after the serve to try and keep that attacking momentum going the service ascendancy if you're the server and if you switch hats what can you do as a returner to to stop that attacking momentum you'll notice this topic really ties in well with other topics we've talked about of maximizing the impact of of the rally in the first four shots let's talk a little bit about players that probably don't rely as much on the serve um, as as others so you know you've got your one end of the spectrum which might be Ivo Karlovic who you know if he doesn't have serve ascendancy on on the first two balls and finish the point points over for him you know the rally will then go on and then he'll really struggle but then you got players that might just start the point with a serve and then be able to use their ground strokes as their as their weapon so um do you look at both of those or do we average out those those sort of data statistics so in the analysis mark we're, we're looking at four years of shot data on both the atp and wta tours so, so naturally you capture uh players with different strengths and weaknesses in that data set uh and for, for our listeners i'll, I'll try and share some um summarized uh, statistics and, and tables from, from the data set in, in the coming weeks on our social media channels. But I actually think the question you asked, Mark, um, is quite important in illustrating why looking at serve ascendancy and impact together is a good way of identifying clusters of players that rely on the serve in different ways. So you can look at that cluster, see the characteristics of that cluster. You can coach them a little bit different. Uh, to, to a player in another cluster and conversely you can, if you're playing these players you can look at certain things uh, about how you approach that match so the Karlovic's of the world they'd have a high score in the serve impact in fact nearly 75 point percent of his uh, first serve points are credited to that first shot but he loses ascendancy the attacking momentum quicker than the average to a player whereas if you look at a player like Stefano Sissipas doesn't have uh, such a high serve impact score but what he does do uh, when the first ball comes into play is he's able to continue whatever advantage he's got with the second third fourth shots he keeps that going i think that's a really big point the biggest um, concern for me with the players i work with a lot of the time is that they'll serve the ball and that first ball that comes in they don't take that initial strike and if you don't take that initial strike you basically almost lose the ascendancy from that first ball and i think what we, we as coaches need to push, obviously, if you're a parent out there helping your child or if you're a player out there on the court, is it's not just what you do on the serve. It's that first ball and that first opportunity to strike. We as players need to take that because if we don't take that, then the opponent will take it and push us back and then we lose ascendancy within two or three shots. Yep. And I think that becomes critical to, to us winning or losing that point. So let's look at some high-level stats with serve ascendancy um, and then we can look at specific players later. So the first serve on the men's side, on by the fourth shot, the, the men lose the service ascendancy and for the women, they, they lose it uh, by the third shot. And on the second serve, the men lose it by the third shot and uh, women lose it on the second shot. Mark, what are your tips for a server to try and maintain that ascendancy? And, and uh, conversely, what are your tips for the returner to try and uh, counter the server's ascendancy? 
Oh, look, I, I always um, am a big believer that we've got to play to our strengths. So especially on the big moments where it's critical, critical scoring systems, like a 30-all, a juice, a break point, we've got to look to serve to our favourite serve, regardless of whether you feel like the opponent will read that ball. And once you serve to your favourite point, favourite uh, serve, I think it's important for them to follow up with your best shot. If you're out there playing and you're just you're comfortable with playing any shot on the court, okay, that's fine. But I feel like the best players in the world male and female, will serve and utilise the forehand to generate as much uh, ascendancy in the point early as they possibly can. On the flip side, the returner has to neutralise that. If you're out there returning, it it could be your court position that might help you neutralise that. It could be the ability to step into the court and really drive the returns as opposed to just sort of put the ball back. It might be the ability to play through the middle of the court. And a lot of the players these days are playing return through the middle of the court to try and neutralize the rally and not give too much angle on that first ball and I feel like over time this probably ploy has taken more of a front seat in that players are now male and female returning more through the center to try and not allow the opponent to get that first strike angle and have to go first strike through the court and if a player has to go first strike through the baseline that then keeps me inside the court a little longer and it doesn't make me get on the run. So then if I'm not on the run, I can actually have a better strike on my next shot. So it becomes either, the, the for me, it's the challenge of, are you winning the serve first strike or the return first strike? And if you can do either one of those, you become uh, obviously in control of the point. And if you're in control of the point, you probably win that point more often than not. So, you know, obviously it's a, it's a really important part of the, the game now. And I think we talked about the first four shots in our previous episodes where it's, it's important to win that, that zero to four point ratio and if you're not winning that you're going to lose a majority of your matches so going back to that second measure serve impact um the calculated data on the tour shows that the serve has more of an impact on the grass with about 70 percent of first serve outcomes on the men's side atp uh credited to that first shot the serve and nearly 60 percent on the wta the other end of the spectrum we've got clay with uh with 55 percent of the points the first serve points credited to the, the very first shot, the serve, 35% on the WTA tour. So I'm going to ask you a two-parter, Mark. What are your tips for serving on grass? And because you get some assistance from the surface and more point out outcomes are decided by the serve on grass, should you be serving within yourself or going for a little bit more? Look, I think, you know, there's a, a huge part played by the environment we play in. There's no doubt that all the surfaces will throw up a different element of what we think about when we play. And I think as a player, if we're not thinking about those elements, we're in a bit of trouble. I guess like the, the one thing that I hear a lot of when we talk about elements that, are, that affect us, it's not just the court surface, but it could be the wind. And you hear players out there and, you know, if you're out there and you're a coach or you're a parent and you're listening to this, You'd be, you'd be hearing it constantly from your players, your kids saying, oh, it was windy, I couldn't serve. You know, I think that's a total crock because at the end of the day, the elements help us to achieve things that we need to achieve. So when we do play on grass, as you said, Shane, utilizing the slice serve where the ball just takes off is a real critical component. The more you, you know, maybe kick serve or the more you hit a flat serve, the ball might hit right in the zone and allow the opponent to have a better strike on the return. So you have to use the elements to the best of your ability. Now, those elements might mean that if you feel like the grass slice serve is the best serve, but the opponent has a weaker backhand return you can still slice it into the backhand so therefore the ball actually takes off on the grass as well and jams them up so you can still use that element 
but you can then tailor it to the opponent as well and go, well, they struggle in this situation. Let's utilize this serve. You know, you might think of, you know, obviously grass is the slice serve that we need to utilize more clay. Obviously with clay being a slower kind of environment, you might try and nail the serve, but the opponent probably has a deeper court position. So you really have to think about what first shot do you really want to get back? You know, and you see a lot of players on the clay will really hit a heavy kick serve, force the opponent right back on the backhand wing so they can't generate force and then take the time on the forehand to really load up. So I think the elements for me, Shane, are really important because if we're only looking at data, if we're only looking at the player's strengths and weaknesses and not focusing in on what the elements are giving us also, then we're we're taking away a big part of what can and can't be done on serve so there's a lot of things that need to be taken into account when you stand up the line ready to serve and and elements is definitely one of them so mark you touched on clay before one of the common misconceptions uh, that i hear is that the serve is not important on clay the numbers show that the service shot is still credited to about 55 percent of point outcomes on the clay on the atp and 35 percent on the wta so these are still some substantial numbers i might ask you what different kinds of serves should you be hitting on the clay to get something from the surface and then also what serves work well to set up the point so the player can maintain that ascendancy keep it going longer good question like i i wanted to come buddy on to into that last question because we talked about the serve not being as important people also say volleys are not important on clay but yet you know the volley the volley ratio winning ratio at the net is more significant probably on clay than most other surfaces so i feel like we we put surfaces into a pigeonhole and say we can or can't do something on this surface it used to be you can't stay back on grass and now you look on wimbledon and all the the wear marks are at the back of the baseline. You know, everybody's staying back. And everyone used to say that you can't come to net on clay. And all of a sudden, the winning ratio on clay becomes larger now. So I feel like we, we do this a lot. And I think now when we talk about the serve on the clay, obviously, depending on who you are, it depends on what serve you need to hit. So if you want time on your first strike, you're probably going to kick serve. Um, you want to get the ball up and jump it up and push them back. Or if you've got a big serve and you can utilize that, you might nail the serve and obviously get them stretching and then get your first strike through that. You might try and look at the body serve. You might try and look at, you know, trying to slice them and, and if they're standing so far back and slice it short, so therefore they had to move forward and get and you create more angle. It really depends on who you are and what your better serves are. You're not going to say to Evo Karlovic, take away your 230k bomb and just roll the first serve in. So I think it's playing to each other's strength or playing to your strengths is the most important part about any kind of serving and not taking that away just dependent on surface. I hear you, I hear. So understand the subtleties of the surface, but stick to your strengths. I read out a few players and I, and I want to hear the first thing that comes to your head when I'm going to say it. Ivo Karlovic, John Isner, Riley Apelka, Kenny DeShepard, Marius Kopel. They're tall, they've got massive serves, probably not as strong off the back of the court. Yeah, you're spot on. These are four big guys. Four of them are pushing 6'9", 6'10", or above, and they've all served over 240 kilometres at some stage. But you alluded to the other point that they're not as strong from the back of the court. So there's a couple of reasons why I read that list out. And the first is, if you plot serve impact and serve ascendancy for the tour, you'll notice that these players fall into a cluster that's considerably distinguishable from the rest of the tour. And the, the characteristics of this cluster include the, the service points, uh, in particular, the first serve are highly impacted by the first shot to serve, but two, they uh, lose the serve ascendancy within three shots of their serve. So if you're a returner, 
and you can withstand two or more shots from them, you're, you're most probably at a neutral position now. And every shot after that, you, you turns into your advantage. Much easier said than done. The other key characteristics of this group are don't win in any rallies over five shots, really. They, they start to lose more than they win. But it's important to contrast this with someone like Nick Kyrgios, who most tennis um, observers and commentators w- would agree has arguably or in the top three or four best serves in the game at the moment. But he actually falls outside this cluster of players because he can maintain his serve ascendancy longer with his subsequent shots. So his forehand, he can do a lot of damage with that and continue the ascendancy for for a lot longer. Now, I, I am going somewhere with this uh, because the second reason I mentioned this group of players was I, I worked on a team last year with a player and a coach and they ended up playing players in this cluster, four, four of them, in fact. And generally, we, we go into to a lot of the matches uh, with the mantra of, primarily focusing on the strength and, and doing what, whatever we can to, to maximize that. But we deviated a little bit from the, the, the mantra because we, we identified how disproportionately players in this cluster relied on their serve in comparison to other parts of the game. And I'll mention something a bit later from a practical point of view, what, what the coach and the player did to prepare. But before I do that, Mark, I might ask you a question. If you have a player under your wing that has an incredible serve, but is weaker in other parts of their game, how much time do you put into improving his his weakness compared to developing the strength more it's a great question you ask <laughs> you know I, I have these these debates with people all the time do you work on as a coach the strengths of the athlete or do you work on the weaknesses of the athlete and try and get them to a level now if you work on things that are not great in someone's game and you put so much emphasis on that what happens to the strength of the player does it continually get better or does it stay the same i'm glad you brought up that, that example and i can guarantee you guys listeners out there this is not a setup, but uh, we had an opportunity of player I was coaching practice with Ivo Karlovic at the Australian Open a few years ago. And his whole practice was based around to serve, literally. There was no rally stuff. It was just serve and it was point play. And the, the biggest problem I find is every time he's at a, a tournament, and I feel for this guy, and this is, I have, I, you can probably give me a data, but he's been in the top 50 for probably 10 years or top 100 for 10 years, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. yeah, it's 17 times in a row in the top 100. Now, nobody in any tournament signs up to practice with Ivo Karlovic. Nobody. He cannot find a practice partner. Why? Because you can't get anything out of a session with him because he serves aces and unreturnable. I think, we'll go back to your question, is that I feel like you need to practice your strengths a lot more than you need to practice your weaker areas of your game and make your strengths that strong that they can't be broken. And Ivo, when we practiced with him, my goodness, it was incredible. Like uh, my player was having a break. I stepped on the court to do some return to serve because Evo wanted to practice more serve. And the ball was bouncing above my head. And, you know, I'm five foot 11. The ball was bouncing above my head on a first serve. And you feel like you just cannot break it. And that's how he stayed at the top of the game for so long. He gets every set to a tie break. He may not be able to return serve as well, but you know what? He's always a chance yeah. uh, when he gets to a breaker. So... You know, these are the kind of things that I I think are really important to weigh up when you're a coach out there or you're a player and you're thinking about your game is how much time do you spend on your strengths and how much time should you spend on the weaker areas of your game? uh, It's a really important thing to to weigh up because you don't want to get that wrong. So just to complete the story I raised earlier, the the team I worked with didn't want to stray too much from the player's strength, but did want to try a few things to try and minimise the impact of the strength of the other players. So some of the practical things that we did uh, when versing players in this cluster were to practice like reality. So the coach was actually on the service line, uh, replicating the speed, trajectory, height, angle on the serve, and the player continually faced returns before the match from those positions. 
Uh, one of the other tactics that we'd come up with was to continually adjust the return positions, mainly on the ad side, to throw the rhythm of these players off a little bit. Uh, and so in practice, that's what we did. And I remember sit, sitting on the sideline, the player continually adjusted from a shorter return position to a deeper one, but did that in practice and then was able to take that into the match and it felt more comfortable in the match doing that. The other part, which we, we also use data for, we identified that this cluster of players uh, generally play very fast in between points. So usually less than 20 seconds, they're back on the line serving again. They play even faster if they win the previous point. So our guy, the data said that he, he actually likes to have about 20 to 25% on return games and he returns better. So we, we wanted to maximize that. So within the allowable limits of the game, we, we looked at ways to s- slow the opponent down. So put the hand up, get a, get a towel. All of those things helped in reducing the rhythm in all of those matches. We actually ended up uh, fortunately winning all of them. The first serve percentage was actually a bit lower than their, their general average. So I know that's an example, one example, and I know all players are different, so you can't necessarily take that kind of approach. A general question for you, Mark, when you identify an area that's such a liability for the opponent, how do you find the balance between exploiting the weakness and not deviating too much from your player's strength. I reckon this is a podcast in itself, my friend. <laughs> this is going to be a this could be a long-winded answer, but I guess the short the short answer to it is um, whenever I develop a game plan, it's based around eighty percent what we can control, twenty percent the opponent. You don't want to be changing your game and what you've practiced for so long and and your style of game. You don't want to change that just because you're playing against someone who who has a great forehand or or a serve volley. If you're Rafael Nadal, your strength is your forehand. You don't want to be playing, you know, just because you're playing Roger Federer, he wants to come to the net. You don't want to try and come to the net before him. It's it's really important to make sure that you play to your strengths more than anything and uh, and stick to eighty percent of what you can control. So. Um, I reckon you've just hit the nail on the head with a new podcast for us coming up. I reckon we can yep. we can talk about um, game planning and uh, and uh, different ways of beating opponents because I think that is a really big element. The eighty uh, twenty analogy you mentioned, where eighty percent of the focus is on the strength, uh, is is a great point to end on, in my opinion. Um, with the data work I've done with players, we we certainly focus on using the data on the strengths of our players to address the weaknesses of the opponents as opposed to letting the tail wag the dog where you look at the opponent's weakness and then trying to reinvent the player to match that. So parents and coaches out there, my recommendation is try and get some video of your players, your squad, tag those matches and then use measures like serve ascendancy and serve impact to segment cluster your players. Similar to how most businesses would segment their customers and tailor their approach to dealing and helping them, do that with um, your tennis athletes and don't lose sight of that 20 approach and focusing 80% on the strengths of that cluster and 20% on the weaknesses, but a tailored approach is really recommended. I'd like to throw it back to Mark and really get some takeaways for our listeners um, to try and maximize and keep this service ascendancy going. I've got four points here that I um, that I wrote down as we were talking, and I think the first one was serve to set up your plus one. Don't just serve. I think that's important. I think, sure, the percentage of points that will finish in an ace for most players, but it's not going to be a huge element for a lot of players. So make sure you set up, serve to set up the plus one. The person who gets the first strike that will get a tendency for the rest of the point. If you serve and get a first strike in, which is a really solid first strike, you probably gain a tendency. The returner, obviously on the flip side, needs to be able to take away that ascendancy from the server. So return to get that first strike, and usually the, the through the middle ball is the most important. The third point for me was serve to your strength. So... Critical moments is where people start to 
oh, they know I'm serving to the back end, I better change it. You know, for me, it's not about that. It's like, well, if that is working for you and that is your favorite serve, continue that in the big moments. I feel like we change things only for the sake of changing it because we think the opponent knows where we're going. It's irrelevant. If you serve it well enough, Nadal plays a forehand every ball he can. Everybody knows he's going to play it. Everyone knows where he's going to play it. But he plays it that well that you can't get it back. So I feel like we've got to play to our strengths more often. And the last point was use the elements. So whether it be the court, whether it be the wind, whether it be the sun, whether it be whatever it is on the, that you can utilize, use it because you need to be able to highlight those things and use it to your advantage. It might be a 10% difference, but that 10% could be the difference in you winning or losing the match. So they're my four takeaway points. I do appreciate your time as always. The, the, the amount of research you do is, is incredible. You can find Shane at Data Driven Sports Analytics all over uh, social media, uh, Shane Leonage as well. Follow him. He's got so many social media things happening, uh, so many different data that you do put up uh, weekly, daily. Um, so thank you so much again for your time and, and, and what you do for, for this podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you've had a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on Crunching the Numbers. Uh, you're again with Mark Zafoulis and Shane Leonage. Follow us on uh, the tennis menu and data-driven sports analytics for more around the tennis. And we'll keep you up to date as much as we possibly can here on Crunching the Numbers. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Crunching the Numbers. Make sure you subscribe to receive all the First Serve podcast. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.